Well, go ahead and grab a seat. It is absolutely amazing to be with you this morning. We praising Jesus with you today. Uh, I do want to welcome you. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and it really is just so good to be with you today. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout. We are continuing in a series called Transformed. And we're very, very excited. It's been fun. It's been challenging to be on this journey with so many of you. We've covered a lot of incredible territory. We've talked about how the reason for why we embrace transformation in our lives is because we are becoming now what we will be for eternity. So we are, we are working on, practicing, we're preparing our hearts, our lives, our behavior now for what it will be like forever and ever, amen. So that's one of the reasons why we embrace transformation now. We've also talked about who does the work of transformation and, and, and this kind of paradoxical reality that God is the one who does the heavy lifting, but we have to cooperate fully with his work. God is the one who has provided everything we need for our transformation, the transformation of our spiritual lives, our emotion, our behavior, our psyche. All it, it, God has given us everything we need for transformation, but it requires for us to make every effort to cooperate with his work. So that's kind of the, the deal. And by the way, just a reminder that it's not just a sermon series, not just what the adults are walking through, but in Rooted 201, this devotion guide that we put together, it's a do book, not a read book. That's what everybody at Overlake's going through. So our students are going through it in student ministries, elementary school kids in Kid Town, young adults going through it, life groups. So this is something that we are doing all together as a church. Just very, very excited about what God's doing at Overlake. What I want to do is I jump in today. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about your life, and just think, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been, maybe at a conference, and you heard somebody speak, and they were so dynamic and so inspiring, it was, you were so motivated by them that you thought to yourself, if I could just spend time with that person, then my life would be different. Maybe you were even at a church service or maybe you heard a TED talk or something like that, but it was so powerful and so dynamic. There was a thought that went on in your head, just kind of maybe in the small back dark recesses. And you thought to yourself, if I could just rub shoulders with her, if I could just spend a season with him, then I'd be changed. Well, I want to tell you that there was a couple of times in my life that that happened to me different conferences that I was at, different experiences, trainings that I was at. I got a chance to hear Tony Campolo, and this happened to me. I got a, a chance to hear from Rick Warren, and this happened to me. There was a guy named Doug Fields teaching, and, and this happened to me. I just thought to myself, oh, you know what? If I could spend time with them, if I could work with them, spend a season of my life with them, then my life would be different. And by the way, to kind of bring the story full circle, I got the privilege of doing that. I was able to partner with Doug Fields for a few years. I got a chance to work for Rick Warren for six years. And so, and, and I can just tell you, the truth is I am different because I spent time rubbing shoulders with them. There are many things as I kind of look at my ministry and I look at the framework for how I process and, and my worldview, even the, the little things I do, like uh, self-deprecating humor that I use, kind of run myself down a little bit. I, just, I tell my, my, my goof stories. That's, all of that I learn from these guys, even down to my hand gestures. 
I practiced that for years, right? Just, just picking up what, and, and, and it's true that people can influence us. They can change us. Our lives can be changed by the people that we hang out with. But here's the interesting thing about that whole deal. If I would have gone to Doug and I would have said, hey, Doug, you've really inspired me by this training. I want to hang out with you so that you'll change me. He'd be like, that's, that's weird. And he would have said, I, I'm just a dude who loves Jesus. And if you really want your life to be changed, you need to hang out with Jesus. And that's what the, the whole kind of overarching message that I wanna make sure is crystal clear through this series is that we are transformed when we hang out with Jesus. That as we pursue intimacy with him, that is what changes our lives and transforms us. As we grow closer and closer to him, our character reflects him more and more. So that's kind of the big picture truth we're going after. We're unpacking it many different ways. Today, we're going to unpack it by looking at a single trajectory that goes throughout the whole scripture. And it's this metaphor, it's the image of God we're going to look at today. So if, you, if you're filling in the blanks, the first one, we're just going to jump right in. It's this, that we are formed in the image of God. We are created in God's image. He formed us together, and as he forms us together, he's looking in the mirror and forming us in his image. So this is, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. It's on your notes. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. Read it there. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, if you know the story of Genesis, if you know the first chapter here, you realize that what this is, is God speaking, <coughs> excuse me, what, he, what, he's, what, what this is is a glimpse of Trinity, that our God is Father, Son, and Spirit. This has always been, will always be, uh, not many gods, one God, but, but Trinity. So as God's speaking, he, he's speaking in the royal we, he's speaking to himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let, let us make humans in our image, to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. So it's so beautiful, and there's so much in this passage that, that we can pull out. But what I want you to see right off the bat, the conclusion that you and I need to draw immediately, this is why all human life has value. This is why. Because all humans are made in the image of God. Every single human still has the original thumbprints of glory on them. And so we value all human life. And, and, and we value it even uniquely because we think all creation is awesome and we, we want to steward and care for all creation. But, but human life especially so because it reflects the image of God. Does this make sense? Are we tracking? You guys can just rumble uh, uh, understanding. Like, yeah, I get it. Okay. Now, so, so that's, a, the, then the first thing that I want to draw from that is the person you need to make sure you value is the person staring back at you when you look in the mirror. Because so many of us run ourselves down constantly. 
and we abuse ourselves verbally, and we say things to ourselves in our own mind that we would never think of saying to another human being. And we, we are ruthless to ourselves so often, but you need to realize when you look in the mirror, the image looking back at you reflects the image of God. You're made in God's image. And so you're to value yourself. And others are to value you because you're made in the image of God. And you're to value others because they're made in the image of God. And so this is true regardless of what age. This is true regardless of where one was born, regardless of what ethnicity one hails from. The image of God, the original thumbprint of God's glory on every single human around the earth. And, and then there are some things to think about. about What does it mean to be made in his image? at least three things. It might mean a lot more than this, but at least three things it means to be made in the image of God. And you might want to jot this down. The first, intellect, reason, logic, the ability to take disparate ideas and put them together, the ability to remember, the, the ability to have understanding and wisdom and to kind of collect that wisdom and then pull it out in the appropriate moment and apply that wisdom when the circumstance requires it, all of this ref reflects the image of God. You're made in his image. So the intellect is a part of that reflection. Second, emotion. Emotion. The emotions that we experience, the emotions that we display, the emotions that we receive to have emotional intelligence, to be able to be with and, and to walk with and journey with appropriately, right? That this is all a reflection of who God is and, and part of what He has downloaded into us because we're made in His image. And the, the third, will. Will, our will, our determination the ability to be steadfast, the ability to be decisive, the ability to set goals and pursue those goals and not give up on those goals, that property of will, it's a reflection of who God is. We're made in his image. Now you look at those three things. You look at intellect and you look at emotion, you look at will. What are they for primarily? And the answer is relationship. God has given that to human beings, created us in his image so that we will be in relationship with him in Genesis chapter 1 so that we'll reign with him, that we'll steward all of creation, reign with God in relationship with him, and so that we'll be in relationship with one another. And it was wonderful when God did that. It was beautiful when God made humans like that. It was incredible. It was intimate. It was glorious. God's glory was just shining brightly because his image being shown down on humans, reflecting perfectly and beautifully his image out into all of creation. There was just glory. It was wonderful. It was like running hand in hand on the beach, you know, holding, like it was just sunsets and rainbows. And it, like it, it was awesome. And it lasted two chapters all the way to Genesis chapter three, when something happened and it markedly changed everything. This brings us to our next fill-in. The next fill-in is this. The image of God in us has been disguised by sin. Disguised by sin. And so what we see when you read Genesis chapter three, you see Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They chose to walk their own path in rebellion from God, they, they, they chose, instead of choosing intimacy with God, they, they chose distance from him. 
And it's not just in that decision that we see this. We see this in tens of thousands of millions of billions of ways that, that we see it around our world. We also see it in our own lives, that we're the ones who make these kinds of choices, that we're the ones who choose our own path. We're, we think we know better than God. We think we have the answer. We, we want to do it this way, not your way, God. And so we choose to go our own way, and we see this happen again and again and again. And what it does is it disguises the image of God in us. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, there's this interesting verse that talks about the progression of sin. And this is what it says. It says, blessed is the one. So, by the way, if in, in your notes, you just might want to write the word happy. Happy is the one. That there's, there's a goodness, there's a blessing in this. There's happiness if you don't do this thing that it is going to describe. We do this thing, that's why it's in the Bible, but, but you'd be blessed, you'd be happy if you choose not to do this thing. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Okay, now I want you to notice the, the verbs in that passage and then notice the progression. Happy are those who don't walk in this way, who don't walk in the way of the rebellious and the selfish and the proud and the, the greedy and the lustful. Happy are those who, who don't travel in those circles. That's not your normal pathway is to walk in the way of the sinful. And, and, and so you can understand that that's one of the choices we have to kind of walk with those who are a part of, of that mentality and that behavior life. And then the next verb is, is to stand so I don't know what you picture when you think of stand, but it's not just walking by, it's actually standing and hanging out in. You know, it's, it's that water cooler that all the sinners are hanging out in. I don't know, it's a dumb metaphor, but you, you know, like it just the idea of, you're not just walking by, you, you've, you've planted yourself. You're hanging out in it now, and now you're the one who's enjoying the, the rebellious thoughts and that maybe God is a killjoy, and maybe he doesn't know what's best for my life, and I know what's best, and you, you're, just, you're just a part of that. You're, you're standing in it. It's not just walking by. Now you're standing in it. And then the third verb, to sit in. You, you've hunkered down. The image I have is a hot tub. You're, you're marinating in this stuff right now. Right? And, and you can see the progression. One's just walking by. Two is like standing. Three is like, I'm in it. And, and that's what happens when we choose to allow sin to take us on a road that disguises the image of God in us. I think it's interesting. Mother Teresa calls this a distressing disguise. And here we are right near the end of Halloween and we see a lot of people wearing disguises. We see a lot of children wearing disguises. A lot of those costumes that we see out there, somewhat distressing, are they not? And, and you see that sometimes what happens with a disguise is there's an original image that's like, that's what we wanted to go after, and then here's the costume, doesn't quite measure up to the original image, okay? So for example, we see this original image of a superhero, Right, the flash, we see it. that's the powerful image, and then we see the distressing disguise. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite there, right? Or we see this innocent image of Bert and Ernie, and they're so cute, and they're so lovable, and they're so fun. Then we see the distressing disguise. <laughs> it's just creepy, is it not? Like, ah, oh, oh, that's what Halloween did, oh my goodness. 
Or, or then we see the innocent image, right? This beautiful, cute Bill Belichick. Then we see the distressing disguise. <laughs> ruined, right? So, so here, here's the deal. That's what I want you to see. What sin does is it distorts and disguises the image of God in us. So if we choose to walk in the way of the sinful, if we choose to stand where the sinful and the rebellious and the, the godless stand, if we choose to sit and marinate in our way is best kind, uh, selfish kind, pride kind of thinking, if, if that's where we are, then we're disguising the image of God in us. It's almost like when, when we live in this sinful frame of mind and, and when that's our behavior and that becomes the definition of our lifestyle, we're wearing a costume that prevents even ourselves from seeing our true identity. It's like we're putting on mask and we're putting on a disguise and we're pretending to be somebody else, somebody not made in the image of God. Sin disguises the image of God in us. And it brings us to the, the next villain. It's not only the disguising, but the image of God in us has been deformed by our wounds. I say the word deformed, unformed, that, that somehow the image of God, because of the woundings that have happened in our lives, now they're, they're marred, the image of God in us, dis, distorted. And... and this is not so much the choices that we've made. These are more the choices that others have made that have wounded us. The pain that, that we have endured because of others' abuse or others' thoughtlessness, because of neglect when we needed care, because of, uh, say, maybe claustrophobic care of, of somebody who, who their love was, was too restrictive. Like maybe, There's all kinds of ways that wounds could come against us. And when wounds come against us, there's pain involved. And because we're in pain, we come up with some ways to deal with our pain that are often interesting and ultimately self-damaging. For example, we teach ourselves not to trust anybody. We teach ourselves to live in isolation. We learn how to be self-sufficient. We teach our hearts to be hard. We decide that we're gonna live fearful and afraid. We begin to manipulate other people. We choose to medicate our lives. Now all of these, these methodologies, the Bible talks about them, they're all described as missing the mark. They're not what God's best is for us. And by definition, that means they're sinful. But I would tell you that it's, it, to me, it's not as helpful to talk about them as sinful. It's more helpful to talk about them as broken. That, that we're broken when we employ these methodologies. And we're employing these methodologies because there's a brokenness and there's a wounding that needs to be healed. See, it's almost like if you want to picture a track coach, track coach out there on the side of the track, and he's yelling encouragement at one of his athletes, and he's saying, come on, you can run faster than that. I know you can run faster than that. I've clocked you before. You can do much better than what you're doing right now. 
And the whole time, the athlete has a broken femur, and he's got a cast up all the way to his hip, and it's signed by 200, 300 high school students. And he's crutching his way around the track as fast as he can go, and he's sweating, and he's thinking to himself, Coach, I know you're right. I know I can go faster than this, but my leg is broken. Could you let my leg heal? And then let's see how fast I can run. And so that's the image sometimes of our woundedness is that we're, we're broken and we're hurting and there, there's a lack of healing that's happened. And, and some of you, you're trying to run as fast as you can. You're trying to go as hard as you know how to go, but you're broken. And what you need is healing first, right? You need to experience God's healing in those places where you have been wounded. But I just want you to see these two realities, that sin disguises the image of God in us, and our woundings deform the image of God in us. And if that was the end of the thing, you'd be so sad you came to church today, but it's not the end of the thing, all right? So here's the next truth, and this is so beautiful. It says that Jesus reforms us. We've been using the word transforms. He transforms us. He reforms us into the glorious image of our glorious God. And this is the good news. This is where it all starts. And, and I would say this. I just want to be super clear. It, it, it is Jesus that does this, and it's only Jesus that does it. A lot of the great thinkers, a lot of the great teachers, a lot of the great philosophers in this world, I just want you to understand that Jesus has a unique role, and this is the role that he plays. And the reason why Jesus is the only one who can do this is because Jesus is the only one who is the perfect representation of the image of God on earth. And so this is what we see. If you're looking at the, the notes here, Colossians 1.15, it says Christ, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the only one, the only one who ever came, the visible image of the invisible God. And, and Jesus came as that perfect representation of God. So you wanna know what God's like, look at Jesus. You wanna know how God loves, look at Jesus. You wanna know how God thinks, look at Jesus. Jesus is that beautiful snapshot of our heavenly Father, the visible image of the invisible God. And friends, he did this par excellence, like he is the image of God shown to us. Now, just for extra credit, what did we do when the perfect representation of the image of God came and dwelt among us? What did humans do to him? We killed him. We killed him. We couldn't handle it. He was so beautiful, so glorious, so loving, so gracious. We looked and we saw the disguise of sin and the deformation of the, of the image of God in us and we could not handle it and so we nailed him to a cross. And we put him there and we, and we abused him on the way and we whipped him and we spit on him and we it, it ripped his beard from his face. There was so much that we just did to, to heap how we despised him. And he went willingly to the cross. And on the cross, what he did was bore our sin. He took our selfishness, our greed, our lust, our pride. He took all of our rebellion, all of our small thinking about our small God. Uh, we're the small gods of our small universes, and he took it all on himself. And our sin deformed him on the cross. But three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. The resurrection of Christ, he reformed, he recreated, he resurrected now the perfect image of God alive forever. And now we can look to him. We can turn to him. We can, we can make our lives face him. And, and in doing so, 
what the scripture says is that we are disguised by sin, but when we look to Jesus, that sin is forgiven and removed. We are deformed by our wounds, but as we look to Jesus, Jesus, the the great healer, he heals our wounds. And as we are forgiven and as we are healed, the image of God is now reformed in us. Does this make sense? Now suddenly we are able to, to see that original thumbprint, the original glory of the image of God in us. Why? It's made possible because of Jesus. So let's take a look at a couple of these verses. Ephesians 4.24 says, put on the new self created to be like God. Please circle that. Created to be like God. Why? Because we're made in his image, formed in his image. We're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I love how the message paraphrases this. It says, everything, and I do mean everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself out into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. You know what that verse says? It says, some of you, you've got this really funky Burt costume on. And you got these gross eyeballs. And when people see you, like kids see you, they run screaming from you because you're wearing the disguise of sin. And the scripture says, so take that thing off. Like, Stop pretending to be what you are not. Don't be disguised by your sinful behavior anymore. Don't be disguised by your rebellion, but instead, everything that that marks that old way of life, that just has to go. Stop wearing it. And instead, you be who God made you to be. You be uniquely yourself, created in the image of God, and allow God to form more and more accurately within you his character. Because who we are becoming now is who we're gonna be for eternity. That's good stuff. That's such good stuff. Look at this last verse here. Colossians 3.10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. We become like him. And the Bible is really, really clear about this. We read about it in Hebrews. We read about it in Revelation. That original call that we are going to reign with the Lord, that will happen. When th- there will be a day when all things are put under the dominion of Jesus Christ, and we will reign with him forever and ever. Amen. But in the meantime, our job is to allow him to be working his transformation within us, to be cooperating with his transformation in our lives so that some things can be reproduced in us. Now, this is a little bit of review. If you're filling in the blanks, this is what has to be produced in us. We aim to be mercifully and outlandishly loving. This is what we aim to do. We aim to be mercifully and outlandishly loving. And last week, we we spent the whole week talking about outlandish love. I gave the most challenging message I have ever given to myself and I let you listen in. And it was difficult, it was hard, it was challenging. And, and if you happen to miss that, we actually put together just a 15 second highlight reel of last week's message. Just go ahead and roll that right here. Outlandish love, it looks like this 
this idea of, of unlikely friendships and unlikely partnerships and that what would be naturally hatred and enemies of each other are somehow overcome by this outlandish love that we are able to cross lines of ethnicity, that we cross lines of species even, and that, that we are able to have this kind of beautiful love all because of what Jesus taught and what he modeled. And I just want to remind you, just in a total snapshot, the nutshell is this, that yes, we're to love our friends, and yes, we're to love our family members, and yes, we're to love those people in our world who are easy to love, absolutely, of course. But it goes on, Jesus says, we're we're also to love those who are hard to love. We're also to love those who will never return our love. We're also to love those who, who are antagonistic against us and who seek to hurt us or, or to put us down or to manipulate or to oppress, even those folks, we are to pray for them and to bless them and to love them and to serve them. And this is hard. It's a challenge to me. And I know it's a challenge to many of you as well. And then I found this, this passage, it's a quote from a theologian named N.T. Wright. And I know the only Wright you know is K.J. Wright. It's not a quote from him. It's a quote from N.T. Wright. And this is what he says. The point is that love is not our duty, it's our destiny. It's the language Jesus spoke, and we are called to speak it so that we can converse with him. It's the food they eat in God's new world, and we must acquire the taste for it here and now. It's the music God has written for all his creatures to sing and we're called to learn it and practice it now so as to be ready when the conductor brings down his baton. It is the resurrection life and the resurrected Jesus calls us to begin living it with him and for him right now. Isn't that beautiful? And that's the challenge. As we are transformed more and more into his image, we are going to be people who are more merciful and more outlandishly loving And it's a beautiful picture. It's something to shoot for, but something to embrace in the right here and the right now. It brings us to our last fill-in here. We seek to reflect God's image throughout our world. We seek to reflect God's image throughout our world. And of course, Jesus calls us to this in the Great Commission, that we're to go into all of the world. And we are to teach, and we are to make disciples. We're to baptize them. And, and, and the idea is we're going to do this with Jesus. And, and what does it mean? It means that we're to reflect the image of God and the glory of God wherever we go, however we go, that, that with whomever we're with, we're shining the glory and the image of God in all of these situations. And what this means practically is we're to put on display the image of God. We're to put on display the character of God. We're to display his love. We're to display his his justice. We're to display his compassion. We're to display his grace. In all of the places that we go, we're to put on display the image of God reflected in us. And so I wanna give you a couple of analogies. I don't know if if these are gonna be helpful at all, But the first analogy that I want to give you is the moon. The moon. Now, this is obviously not the moon. Uh, It's a dodgeball. And so I just want to tell you that when this analogy is over, I'm going to throw it at one of you. So pay attention. All right. The moon. Now, the moon creates no light of its own. It generates no light of its own. I know we all know this. 
You know, it was many, many years before humans figured that out. The moon does not create the light on its own, but yet many of us have had the experience where on a clear night, we have seen the moon shine, illuminating the world like heaven's flashlight. Casting shadows, giving us guidance, enabling us to make our way through the dark night, all by the light of the moon. Well, there is no light of the moon. It's the light of the sun, is it not? And the sun is shining on the moon and then reflecting onto the earth, and that's the light by which we can walk at night. Here's the point. The point is you and I, in the same way that the moon reflects the light of the sun, and the glory is the sun's, and the power is the sun's, and the light comes from the sun, in the same way you and I are to reflect the light of the Lord. The image of God, the glory of God, the love of God, the grace of God, all reflecting from him, emanating from him, reflecting on us into this world. Does that make sense? Pretty, pretty easy to understand. The next image I wanna give you is the image of a mirror, okay? So this is a mirror, and I wanna be kind of careful. Oh, look at that. I can, <laughs> wake up. All right, all right. All right, so, so the mirror, right, reflects light. And, and the idea of a mirror is how would you reflect the light of the sun with a mirror? And the answer, I mean, it's super captain obvious, but the answer is you would shine the face of, you would put the face of the mirror so that it's, it's pointing toward the sun. You would turn the face of the mirror toward the sun. That's how you would reflect the sun's light. By the way, did you know, I have a concave mirror on the other side. Did you know that if you take a concave mirror and you shine the light of the sun from a concave mirror onto a piece of paper or on wood, you can start it on fire. Did you know this? Some of you, I have just ignited the middle schooler pyromaniac within you. You're thinking to yourself, if only I had a concave mirror. If only I lived in a place where the sun shone. But the mirror reflects the light of the sun when, when you turn the face of the mirror toward the sun. And so, what does the scripture say? In Psalm 67, verse 1, it says this. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And what? Make his face to shine upon us. Please underline that phrase. Make his face to shine upon us. So what are we to do with that? The, the, the face of God shining on us, the image of God, the glory of God, the power of God shining on us. What are we supposed to do with it? Well, we started unpacking this passage last week. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, and he has this interesting metaphor. So let's unpack it a little bit more today. It's from 2 Corinthians 3.16. Paul says this. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, so there it is, when, it, when we turn our face and our lives to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The disguise is taken away. The, 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 the barrier preventing us from being unhindered in the presence of God, that veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what, what Paul is saying in this passage is that before we come to know and to trust Jesus, 
it's like there's this veil over us, a disguise we're wearing because of sin. And then he's saying, but whoever turns their life to the Lord, whoever looks to the Lord and they, they trust in the Lord Jesus and, and allow him to pay the penalty for our sin, trust in him that he is the savior that he claimed to be. When we turn our lives to him, Paul says that veil is removed. Like, like a blind man now suddenly able to see That's us when the veil is removed. Now we're able to contemplate the Lord's glory without any barrier, without any hindrance. But then he's using this reference of a veil over our faces, and it's kind of interesting if we don't know the context that Paul's writing. So what Paul's actually doing, he's referring to an Old Testament passage found in Exodus chapter 34. You can read that on your own if you like. In Exodus chapter 34, what we find is that Moses would go up on the mountaintop and he would speak with the Lord or he'd go to the place of meeting and he would speak with the Lord face to face. And as Moses would interact with God, unhindered, he would see the glory of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the image of the Lord and Moses would then begin to shine with the Lord's glory, like radiate his glory. And, and so then he would leave that place of meeting, he would come down among the Israelites and they would freak out because it's just not normal to glow like Moses was glowing, right? It's just, ah, oh, that's weird. There's no batteries. I don't even get it, you know? Like, and, and so what Moses would do is he'd put a veil over his face whenever that would happen so that he wouldn't scare the Israelites. That You know, he's trying to lead them. He doesn't want to frighten them. But then secondly, the glow, the radiation of the Lord's glory would start to fade from Moses' face. After a while, that, that, that glowing image of God just radiating from Moses, it would get dimmer and dimmer. And so he'd put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't see the glory of God leave. Now what Paul says is he's contrasting what happened to Moses with what's happening to us. I want you to see it's a clear contrast. What Paul's saying is, look, Moses put a veil over his face, but we, we have the veil removed. So he says, Moses, he looked, at, he looked at God and he experienced the presence of God. And then he shone for a while, but then he got dimmer and dimmer. But you, he says, you're to take that veil off. You're to look to the Lord and you are going to glow brighter and brighter. What does he say? Ever increasing glory that brighter and brighter your light is gonna shine, brighter and brighter the glory of God in your world, brighter and brighter the love of God through your life. And it's not just that you're gonna reflect the light like the moon reflects the light of the sun. It's not just that you're gonna reflect the light like a mirror reflects the light. Paul's saying you're gonna radiate with it and you're gonna be transformed and more and more and more. You're gonna be like the God whose image you're created in and who Jesus recreates you to be. More and more and more that is the glory that you're going to display. As you put on display his love in your world, as you put on display his grace in your world, as you begin to forgive those who have wronged you, as you go into your world and you communicate what? The image of God in you reflected and radiated into your world. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. 1 John 3, 2 says, but we know that when Christ appears, We shall be like him. Please circle that phrase. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
And that's why I say, friends, the way that we embrace transformation is we spend time with Jesus. And the more time we spend with Jesus and the more intimate we are with Jesus and the more we pursue our relationship with Jesus, we are going to be more and more like him because the Bible says that when we finally see him as he is, we will be made like him. That is is, uh, turning our lives to him. That's how we experience the transformation of his love in our lives. So, let me ask you just right now, as you think about your life, what are you radiating into your world? What are you reflecting into your neighborhood? When the, when the people in your workplace or in your classroom, when they, when they look at you, what is it that they're seeing shining from you? Is it the image of God? Is it the glory of God and the love of God? the grace of God, the forgiveness of God? Or is it something else? See, right now, each and every one of us, we have an opportunity to turn our lives to Jesus. Right now, we have the opportunity to make sure that veil is removed. We confess our sin and and throw down the disguise. We recognize our woundedness and we seek him for healing. And then we we just turn to Jesus. And we trust that he's going to do his work of transformation in us as we spend time with him. Remember, I started this message talking about, was there somebody in your life that you heard, you, mo- you got motivated by, you looked at, you said, if I could just spend time with him, if I could just spend time with, with her. And my challenge is, for us, the person that we want to do that with is Jesus himself. But over like I also have a, I have a vision for us as a family. I have a dream, a prayer that I pray over us, and that's this, that when people in your work group look at you, when people in your classroom look at you, when people in your neighborhood look at you, they say to themselves, if I could just hang out with her, I'd be different. If I could just hang out with him, I'd be changed. I, I see the life they're living, and there's something in me that really wants that life. And if, and if I could just get with them, it, it feels like their life is, is kind of like a source of light, and I, I would love to get close to that source of light, and, and that's my prayer for you. And when it happens, I pray that you're like, oh, I'd love to spend time with you. I'd be, it'd be great to rub shoulders with you for a season, but, but you need to know this. I'm just a dude who loves Jesus. Jesus is really the one you need to be hanging out with. All right. So can I get an amen for that? Amen. All right. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together. And Jesus, we always want to start with gratitude. We're so thankful for you. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for how you have come close to each one of us, that you have whispered your love and your grace over our lives, that you have forgiven us again and again and again. You've cleansed us. You've You've communicated just your graceful presence in so many ways, and we're thankful for that. And Lord, right now what we want to do is we want to turn our lives to you. We want to turn to you for forgiveness of our sin. We turn to you for healing of our wounds. We turn to you, Lord, for the, for the recreation of that image of God to be made transformed, to, to accurately reflect who our Father is. And Lord, we know that you love us. We know you have so much grace for us. But what we really pray, we pray that we would be able to radiate your love, your compassion, your grace into our world. 
Would you show us how? Show us how we can do that. Show us the words we can say. Show us the actions we can embrace, the character that we can employ so that we can become more and more like you. We know that we're becoming now what we're gonna be forever. And so we ask that you would continue your work of transformation in us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.